0: I don't know what it is about the pandemic everybody is riding bicycle now so yeah i know i saw your bicycle there so yeah. a couple of guys were riding bike and they they invited me to come I'm like bro man i'm not i'm not i'm not about that like <laughs> yeah, yes <laughs> So today on Life on Purpose, I have Mr. Praise for wear. Um, Mr. Praise is is globally known uh, in defense fairs. And one of the things I do on this podcast, as you all are well aware, is you know at the risk of um, introducing the, uh, the the speaker and the person I'm interviewing uh, in the wrong light, I always ask them to just tell us a little bit about themselves. And if there's anything that they that they Fail to share by process of humility, then I will add on top of that. So, uh, Mr. Praise, please, uh, if you don't mind, just uh, tell us a little bit about yourself uh, over a minute or so, and we'll go from there, sir.
1: I'm a curious soul that um, asks um, difficult questions and creates simple solutions to complex problems. Um, that's the best way to introduce myself because I do a whole lot, uh, but I love to simplify. So, I'm just a curious soul, I'm asking the questions, very difficult questions that people are afraid to ask. And I create simple solutions to complex problems. I work as a family life innovator. Um, what it means is I create innovative solutions that are scalable and that can solve um, complex family life problems. That's where I found myself. So, I create strategy, coaching, methodologies, and content um, in the family life space.
0: Yeah. Yeah, you know, you, you you threw out a few words that um, those who are listening will catch on to. One of the things is family. Another is life. Uh, another is coaching. And, and life on purpose, as as my listeners know, is is my way of encouraging folks to uh, to live their life intentionally. And it's spelled L Y F E, which is live your full existence on purpose. Uh, and and um, you know, for those that listen, also know that I, I kind of speak to different buckets and certainly our life is much more fluid than we can put in buckets but buckets allow for a focus in a certain way and those buckets are faith, fitness, family, focus, finance and friends. Again I say faith, fitness, family, focus, finance and friends Um, and and friends could be fellowship. Focus is more so your purpose Um, and one of the things that you you touched on and I want that's where I want to start Um, and and today we'll, we'll be talking a little bit about you know, your background and your expertise in counseling and, and, and specifically family counseling and, and, and really where does mental health come in, right? And, and um, mental health, mental awareness and, and, and mental illness as opposed to uh, health and wellness in general. That, that's also something that, you know, needs to be debunked. The, the idea of health versus illness. Mental health is different from illness. So, so I want to start with, you know, the piece where you touched on family. Um, your, your focus appears to be organically from the family standpoint. What, what, can you touch a little bit more on that? What, why family as, as the central focus? And maybe I read that wrong, but I'm reading that as family is the central focus.
1: Yeah, because um, the most important nation and heart is the family. The family is the production factor of the society. There is no leader troubling the, country, the world today that did not emerge from the family. And there is no icon that we respect that did not emerge from the family. Um, foundations, they say, are conclusions. And so what it means is um, you could have everyone is a product of a script from the family that produced them. A child was born into this world. The child knew nothing. He came in the tabula rasa um, is very plain. You know. But the handlers you know, will give the child a name that doesn't reflect his destiny. The handlers will impose a religion on the child that he knows nothing about and uh, that the child will begin to defend in adulthood and almost want to kill others if they don't subscribe to his beliefs. They would introduce him to schools that would be their own decision that has nothing to do with the child. They will introduce those teachers in those schools, will introduce the child to ideology he knew nothing about. He will be introduced to friends he never planned to meet who were not of his own making. He will be introduced to an environment that he knew nothing about. Then the child grows into teenage years and is fully formed, but known to him, he thinks that he's in control of his decision not knowing that he has been scripted to become who he has Mm. become. And that's why the family becomes very critical, you know, because foundations are conclusions. And so that's why we say that is a production factor of the society. So we can't say the society is bad without saying the family is bad. The question is what system of family do we deploy across our families? And how does that affect the output that we have in the society? That if we can get hold of the family, then we can create a new society. After all, the nation Israel was somebody else's family. It was even a dysfunctional family, but it's the nation that became, I mean, it's the family that became the nation called Israel. So everyone is always starting a community. Everyone is always starting a society. What are the ethos and the values of the family that produced you? Because every family is a nation and you always become ambassadors of your nation consciously or unconsciously.
0: Wow! 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 So unpacking that is a lot, yeah, and one of the things you said is, you know, the foundation is 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 it is in the family, um, you know. And as we talk a little bit more about, you know, where this whole intersection of the family plays into how we live our life, well, how we we take the next level of our life. One of the things that comes to mind, which you touched on also, is the environment, and, and I love how you you described it that. Later in life, this guy takes on this quote unquote independence, thinking it's his own ideology, not knowing that the, the precedents, things that occurred long before, are why he is who he is now as a result of, uh, of his family. I want to touch on, and, and let me re- recast this faith, culture, and the mind. If we're, if we're given this title, faith, culture, and the mind obviously is talking about mental health and, and our faith and, and some of those generational things that come into place. Where does culture? Where, what, does, what does culture have to do with how life is lived as well as how, how the family uh, dynamics exist? Culture is from the word cult, right?
1: And so we mm. say that culture is the way of life of the people at every point in time. So when mm. you see a culture, the question you wanna ask is who are the creators of the culture? What was the purpose for the creation of that culture? Um, what was their worldview and the exposure before they created the culture? you know, because a lot of us have become custodians and promoters of a culture that we don't understand. And that's why if you look at every religion, the religion steps on the culture, it makes on ground, and the religion takes the shape of that culture. That's why even Jesus said that you have made the word of God of no effect by your tradition. Tradition is the same word used as culture. Now, um, culture can define people. Uh, but the question is, are some co- is the culture based on truth? Is the culture still relevant? It could be an old truth that has our its is usefulness, but a whole lot of people still hold on to, you know, the, the culture of the past because the enemies of the new move are actually the custodians of the old move. Not because they are wicked, but because they try to protect the old move, forgetting that the old move, life is not static, life is dynamic. Now, your culture can affect Your family, it can actually sabotage you. So you take, for instance, a lady who wants to get married to a guy. The guy is from a home where daddy is the lion of the tribe of the home. Nobody could play with daddy. Daddy was almost like a god and an oracle to be worshipped. Daddy, nobody knows what daddy hunts. Um, Nobody plays with daddy. Daddy doesn't have friends. Now, that guy would want to get get married to a lady who is from a home where daddy is on a first name basis, where daddy cooks. Everybody mm. plays with daddy, you know. So unknown to the two of them, <laughs> they are culturally incompatible. That's what is called unequal you, mm. or the two of them are good people, but they are unbelievers to themselves. Because don't be unequal yoke. Mm. unbelievers means an unbeliever is someone who doesn't believe what you believe. Now, the two of them can be good, mm. but they don't believe what they believe. So they are unequal you. So what happens in there is, this guy is a typical third world, um, cal- he's from a third world culture. Wherein the family came mm-hmm. out from is a typical third world where everything is scattered, there is no system in place. The ladies from a first world. Now, when they come together, mm-hmm. now ideally it should defer to her so that it can be mentored out of the mediocrity of his culture into the excellence of her culture so that they can now have a new culture such that by the time the children come, the children can learn a new culture by observing them. Because children learn from what they see you do. But because he had never seen a woman talk to his father, he's going to be trying to pull this lady down to obey his culture. So there's culture clash in there. They call it friction. They call it um, irreconcilable difference. Unknown to the two of them, the culture that produced them is our war, and that culture is what we eventually sabotage that marriage. care is not taken, so a culture can sabotage. As a matter of fact, our worldview is dependent on. Our culture, because all of us have a screen through which you process reality. Now, your culture can sabotage your concept of reality, that you can see something and you can say, this is the only way to it. Meanwhile, there are other ways to it, but because that is all you, you have seen, that's what you want to protect. That's why we say that all you know is all you know, but all you know is not all there is to know. There is a whole lot of worldview that you are not even aware of. So your culture can sabotage. The question is: is this culture built on truth? Is this culture built on exposure? Is this culture promoting the best interest of every human being? Any culture that doesn't promote the free-spiritedness of the human being and doesn't promote the manifestation of um the potential of any human being is a self-sabotaging culture and it needs to go, which now means that we need to create a new culture that can define the reality and um, allow everyone full expression of their potential.
0: You know, <laughs> okay, I, I'm going to unpack a few things you said so people don't miss it. Religion can step on culture. Religion steps on culture. Relevance. That's something for, for us to also be cognizant of. You know, when you grow up in a certain culture, is it still relevant in your day to day? Um, I'm leading a a mastermind right now uh, on the book Leadership by John Maxwell. And the whole idea is that change is growth and growth is change. And if you ever think that there is that change, that cliche that change is the only thing that's constant is true in itself. That is the truth of it and, and nothing more than that. And so when you say, is the culture still relevant? The question is, is, is what you, you experience in your past still relevant to your today? You said culture can sabotage the future. Is that something that I really want folks to understand as well? That children learn from what they see and not what you tell them. Children learn from what they see you do. Can you s- spend a little bit more time on that and maybe start to gear in the direction of how does that affect, um, you know, uh, the mental health of our children? How does that affect... Um, their personnel uh, in their mind?
1: Okay, so when I look at adults and the adult gets angry, unknown to that adult, there was no time to sat down to say, I'll begin to get angry. There are self-sabotaging programs that have been installed by the people we met on ground. They were unconsciously installed. So there is a pattern to everyone's behavior. So I can observe your pattern and tell you where you're coming from. So when you were born, because from ages um, zero to three, the role of parents is supposed to be scouting. But from ages four to six, your parents are supposed to be a model now. And those are the formative years. So you look at your parents. If your father is someone who shouts when he talks, you will realize that you will pick his communication cue. If your father is someone who loves to drink, most likely you'll begin to gravitate towards what your father is doing. If your father is a liar, you will likely begin to tell lies because that's what it is. When my son was five, he was talking to my, I used to have a bit of potbelly, looked at my wife and said, when I grow old, my tummy will be as big as my daddy's tummy. Now that is how (laughs) children (laughs) think because they see what you see. In fact, the most powerful learning in life is modeling. And that's why, I mean, I was saying somewhere today that you can, if you have a father or if you have a mentor who has great virtue, right? and is a very good person but is also very very broke if you follow that person with all of your heart there are two things you will copy you will copy good behavior but you also copy poverty It will be installed in you because that's Mm -hmm. the example that was before you so if you don't consciously pick select what you are what you want to pick from him and go and pick prosperity from a wealth mindedness from someone else you will be stuck you'll be very good but you would have replicated that pattern because People that you look up to or you follow, they never leave you the same. They install their software inside of you. And that's why, I mean, if you're a student of scripture, Paul was talking and he says, do not be conformed to this culture that seeks to hold you bound, but be transformed by uninstalling your self-sabotaging pattern. That's Mm. what he's saying in there. Mm. So you find out that a whole lot of people don't understand these things. So they consistently sabotage. So if you place someone before me i will begin to eat like that person i don't know if you have gone for an outing before well i mean maybe in the days you didn't know how to use a cutlery then you found someone who could use cutlery you realize that what you began to do was to begin to observe that person or maybe you went to chinese and you have to use chopstick you have to observe the person in front of you that's the way the world is framed so there is someone you are modeling unconsciously or consciously now if you have someone in front of you who is traumatized and he doesn't know. So he would think that, so for example, you've um, many of us don't know how to communicate. We know how to talk
0: now. Mm. And so- mm. our, Sorry, our, sorry, our, sorry, sorry. Say that one more time. Many of many us don't know how-, how, to,
1: we, don't know how to, we don't know how to communicate. We know how to talk. Anybody can mm. talk, but communication is a skill. So you mm. realize that the way many of us t- attempt to communicate is based on the people that spoke to us first so if they were command commanding we became commanding now they didn't know that they traumatized us by the yelling and the shouting they subjected us to now so trauma was installed as a software by our observation and by being in their space now we have grown older we are repeating the same to our children by passing installing the same self-sabotaging pattern into our children programming them for their own children to repeat the same. And that's why when you were four years old, a typical person, you would realize that your parents yelled at you or flogged you if you are from Africa for spilling water at the age of four. Now you have a child who is four. Who is spilling water? You are doing exactly the same. The question is spilling of water at age four. Is it a bad behavior or an expected behavior for a four-year-old? It's actually an expected behavior, but you are getting angry for a child being a child. Simply because you're an adult and you have refused to stoop to understand or be consciously aware that that child is a child. So what has happened to you was that you were traumatized, but you are unwilling to accept that you were traumatized. Now you are passing trauma, installing trauma into that child who will grow up to traumatize other people. And that's how trauma is passed. Unfortunately, once trauma becomes accumulated, you know, it manifests. As mental health issues, you know, where the person has no control over his reality. Because in fact, another trauma that people go through is this. Check our socialization. You know, I run classes and I ask my audience to attempt to praise themselves for five minutes. Without quoting any scripture, whether Quran or Bible. Without repeating the same words twice, right? And without slowing down. Nobody has been able to do five minutes. They usually stop after two minutes because they don't know what else to say. You know what is happening there? We were socialized to praise God. We were socialized to praise other people. But every time you try to praise yourself, they call you proud. So how do you give of yourself to others when you have not learned to give affirmation to yourself and there is no self-love within you? So lack of self-love will make you begin to look for love outside of you when love actually is within you. That lack of love is what manifests as jealousy, is what manifests as um, trying to bully others because there is no self-loving you. And so it's actually low self-esteem. It can manifest as superiority complex or inferiority complex. They are both complex problem. They are both low self-esteem. It simply says to you, it's a feedback to you that you don't have yourself. You don't know yourself. You mm-hmm. don't love yourself because the real you has been stolen from you. Now, instead of finding you and accepting you, you begin to look around for validation from other people who themselves are traumatized, looking for themselves. You are looking for you, they are looking they are for you. Them, you expect them to find you and you expect them to have found you. This is where problem starts.
0: Oh, uh, uh, I don't I don't even know. I don't even know. <laughs> I don't know which one of those to pick up from. But you know, as you connected the dots to mental health, and you and the way you described it is that you know, trauma accumulated over time becomes a mental health issue. becomes a mental illness. becomes because it now becomes you know a, a, a habit. It becomes something that is ingrained deep inside. Yeah. You know, it becomes a core, uh, core, core piece to you. I, I'm reminded of Stephen Covey's Seven Habits of Highly Effective People and, and how he talks about you know if you want to develop a new habit. You know, you have to do certain things. Um, yeah. um, there, are, there are different schools of thoughts about 10,000 hours to mastery. You know, th- 63 days, 21. There, there, are so many different schools of thought about changing habits. Um, um, this guy um, from, from the Life Church, uh, Craig Rochelle, wrote an amazing book recently about um, um, winning the war in your mind, which was basically a, a a demystified approach to understanding mental health issues and mental illness issues. And bringing it to light about it's really at the core of habits. It sounds like that's what you're, you're touching on. Can you touch a little bit more about once you've identified or maybe, maybe not even fully identified, can you touch from point of identification to how do I then start to weave away from this, um, whatever it is that trauma is? So I, I teach a class called Human Engineering
1: Programming. which is basically to help people program themselves in the direction of where they want to go. Because an average person is not aware of who they are, and they don't know that they have the capacity to uninstall their self-sabotaging software. And the first thing we try to do in that class is to audit people. And in the process of audit, you ask them, what is the greatest version of you that you are afraid of, or that you see within you that you are capable of becoming? Then you ask them, who are you right now? By the time they look at the gap between who they want to be and who they are, you would really, you will see the problem. So I ask them if who you truly want to be, the you that you can be, that you have not yet been is 100%. Where you are right now, what percentage will it be? Usually the highest person has about 30%. People have mine or something. Now, what is producing the you right now is the beliefs that you have. Now, your belief is not the truth. Your belief is what you have convinced yourself to be your truth. So there are different dimensions to every human being. Now, where you're standing is what now defines where you are. So what we do for them is to now audit the belief and the sources of their belief. And every person, when they talk, I can almost know where they copied what they are saying from. Mm. Many of their thoughts are not their thoughts. And the thoughts could have produced results for the person that taught them. But it's not the kind of thought that can produce their own result because they have not predetermined where they want to go. Now, so that thought can lead your mentor or whoever so you had it from to where it's going because he consciously chose that thought. But that thought cannot power where you want to go because you have not consciously chosen your thought. So by the time we audit did their thought and the suppliers of their thought, then they begin to realize that where they truly want to go, the thoughts they have right now cannot take them to where they want to go. So what we now begin to do is to now ask them a question to say, the you that you see, who are the people you know that live at that level at the moment, that are manifesting at that level and what do they believe? So then you ask yourself, the people supplying your thoughts right now because the best your thoughts can produce is who you are right now. If you Mm -hmm. continue to listen to them, they will keep producing who you are now. So can you change those people and begin to take in new beliefs that can take you in the direction of where you want to go? It's a zero-limit emotion session where you are not emotional at all. Many people are emotional about their destiny because they are afraid of leaving the norm. I mean, there is a four-dimensional progression that is taught. The first level is the world um, around you right, that level is called domestication. Over 80% of the people on the planet are at that level. Domestication is when you are bound by rules and regulation, the rules you met on ground. You are living in a two-dimensional world, right, wrong, don't do this, that, up, down. There are people at that level. But the level two is awareness. The world um, that you can choose. Now, at that level, that's where you set goals. To now say, I no longer wanna be here, this is where I wanna be. The problem of going to level two is, many of the people used to lead you at level two now once they sense that you want to cross to that level two all l will be let loose that's why i tell people want to do change program that you need to understand that the moment you decide to change the first thing that will happen is there will be outrage once there's outrage there will be a lot of bullying but if you sustain and you refuse to back down they will eventually come and negotiate and accept you so at that level people are going to bully you they begin to tell you because now you are choosing life the way you want to live it, they'll be able to tell you you are stupid, you are useless, you know, you are backsliding. They tell you all kinds of things. It's oh. to you because they don't understand that you are evolving into you. They thought they knew you, but they oh. don't know you. And they are comfortable placing you where they are placed you because you are useful to them at that level. But oh. now you are taking responsibility for your life and that makes them uncomfortable. But if you persist at level two, you move to level three, which is recreation. That is the world within you. At level of recreation, you are no longer living from within to without. You are living from, you are, you are no longer living from without to within. You are now living from within to without. That level, I call it heaven. So when people ask me to define happiness, I tell them that happiness is installing, creating and installing and protecting the heaven within you in a way that the hell without you loses its power over you. At oh. the level, you have no business what is happening around you. You are comfortable with living from within you. That is only possible True meditation. Now, when you meditate consistently, you begin to see things from within you. Then you begin to say, Oh, I deserve better. This is who I want to be. At that level, you are no longer, you no longer have the need to be liked. You Mm -hmm. only will have the need to become the best version of yourself. But stage four is freedom. At that level, you are free to become the best version of yourself. Now, People now look at you. The same people used to look down on you. They now say, wow, we knew that you were going to make it. Wow, we oh. knew that you were going to make it. But you see, they, there was a place they placed you before. And that's why nobody oh. can live your life for you. Nobody can take the decisions for you. The problem is many people cannot move from level one because level one is a comfort zone. Level one is where majority of the people are. Level one gives them a measure of succor but it's not leading them anywhere. Level one is where, you know, they don't have to take responsibilities for their life. They blame the devil. They blame oh. everyone for oh. their for their lot. They are unwilling to take responsibility because they are afraid to even talk to God. They are comfortable enough to be looking at God from afar. They can't question him. So they create songs to reinforce their helplessness, right? They stay under people to appreciate their helplessness because even though they see pain, but their pain, they love it because their pain is a business plan. It makes them get attention and attract attention to them. So they are afraid that if that pain is no longer existent, people will no longer pity them. People will no longer look out for them. People will no longer pray with them. People will no longer, you know, be asking questions again. So they stay there. It's a very, very odd place to stay, but they love it there. But when people decide to take responsibilities for their lives, you know, the first thing is awareness. Are you even aware that something is wrong with you? Because whatever you can accommodate, you will not change. But the moment you decide that this is not the life I want, I'm going to take responsibility for my life. You know, I hear a lot of people say, you know, this is the best me God wants me to be. That's not correct. This is the best you that you have chosen to be. Because Mm -hmm. if when you were born, you were taken to China, your life would have been completely different. You won't even believe what you believe right now. Mm -hmm. So to... To to abdicate it to God, when God is waiting on you to create your path, you know, it's a disservice to your humanity. But a whole lot of people are afraid of success. They are afraid of living out their lives. In fact, they are more concerned about what people will say than actually living out their life because they don't want to fail. But they don't know that you can redefine failure and create a new narrative because there's nothing called failure. It's only a feedback. I call it research and then um, development if you take it that way then it will take a new shape then you will trust into your future and there's a greater version of you that can ever be if you only understand what lies at the other side and the what is going to cost you to get to the other side
0: and <clears throat> you know the latter thoughts you shared about being afraid about fear um and, and i've been working on a little bit of a project um my, my second book um should be out It's probably about the time this public this uh, podcast goes goes live, um, and it's called Charge Forward Regardless, and it's basically encouraging folks to fight their fears, overcome their obstacles, and break through barriers. and And I spent a little bit of time kind of just uh, looking into in, into fear, and and one of the things, and it was almost a personal journey. And you and I had d- discussed this a few weeks back about how you know we shouldn't have to go through an experience before we can be a blessing to others, yeah. especially when you are the quarterback of a team, or especially when you're the leader in that fold. You shouldn't have to, I, as, as a as a father in my home, I shouldn't have to go through, you know, bullying before I could uh, sympathize, guide and prepare my child for such environments, right? So, you know, uh, but, but, but I would say that, I say that to say, I, you know, I went through a, an experience where I had to, you know, push past certain things. I had to fight my fear. In other words, I, I actually tweeted this as probably the best description, which is, you know, um, My joy is on the other side of the fear. Mm -hmm. Joy is on the other side of the fear. And it's like, you know, just I just needed to take a chance because the joy in which we seek, the happiness, the heaven, to your point in which we seek, is on the other side of that fear. Can you just spend a little bit more time? And I know you touched on it, but can you just spend a little bit more time of how do we fundamentally overcome that fear? What can can we practically do to overcome the fear um, uh, in us? And then we'll come back to mental health.
1: So I tell people that um, fear is the coward that hides behind your ignorance Ooh. and holds you bound. And um, if you are not careful, it becomes, it, because fear also has agents. It sends mm. its agent to you, turn you to a business project. You know, and they perpetually, um, in, they perpetually feed your fear. They at the same time position themselves as the, your savior. Mm. So, and how you deal with fear is very simple. Ask yourself a simple question. If you don't, you are no longer afraid of anything again. Who are the people that will stop collecting your money? Once you answer that question, you will see a whole lot of value chain that you have placed over your life, feeding from you, thinking that they are going to save you from fear. Because you see, none of us can come out of this life alive. You need to understand that. When you Ooh. understand that, life becomes very easy. And it takes a new shape to say that every man has someone from a fear but you know, fear just, is just a coward. It hides behind your ignorance. So whenever you are afraid of something, how do you see it? Because, you see, I tell people that the problem is not the problem. How you see the problem is the problem. Oh. So if you say something, you are afraid of something, what does it mean to you? For me, every time I'm afraid of anything, I see it as a signal to research it. Because think about your life when you were a child. When they gave you a toy um, crocodile or a toy... Um, lion mm-hmm. and the, your, your knowledge Your belief About that lion Whether it was real And that was why You were running away You were afraid But the moment Awareness came What okay. And that you know We're no longer Running away from you We will kick it Was because you now A revelation came That says that This thing is a toy So that's exactly How to defeat fear That you need Awareness Once awareness comes It comes In form of Superior knowledge Some people call it Aha moment to now realize that oh wow i am bigger than this why am i even afraid i mean i never i go for whatever i want to go for i always ask myself what's the worst that can happen the worst yeah. that can happen is they will say no to me but let me do it what if they say yes to me All right so i go ahead to do it because i know that only the first step will lead you to a second and the three fundamental keys in life to every possibility the three of them are element of shame seek knock and ask, right, for you Mm -hmm. to seek, right, and to go and find, you may not find, so Mm -hmm. you can be disgraced, so it Mm -hmm. has element of shame, for you to knock, the door might not be open, but what if the door is open, for you to ask, you might be rejected, but what if you ask, nevertheless, so they all have element of shame, so it's like, if you take a lesson from the aviation field, every time the plane tries to go forward, it's contending with a force called drag, Right. And drug in many cases are your history, past failures, pathological oh. critic, you know. So because you who you are right now is a memorized behavior of your past. Right. And so you have a history and that history has been stored or represented somehow in your mind. So every time you try to move forward, it reminds you, it drags you back to say, remember what happened to you in the, the year 1991. Um, and how blah, 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 and before you know it, all your quest to move forward is doused because it's not the old you is not willing to let go to allow the new you emerge. It's gonna fight. Now, so every time the plane tries to taxi, is fighting with drag. But every time the plane tries to lift, is fighting with weight. Weight are secrets, weight are relationships that you have brought into your life that has held you bound. So consistently, you have to defeat your drag to move forward and you have to defeat your weight for you to lift. So that's how to deal with fear. Ask yourself, what is this fear? Research it, then ask yourself, is there anyone who has overcome this fear? Can you go and study the person? What did they do differently? What beliefs did they have that made them overcome the fear? Now, then you, the next thing you do is, can you begin to visualize? Do you really want what you want? Now, what will happen if you have it now? What will happen if it comes into your life? You know, who, what access will they give you? You know, what will happen, you know, to you? What quality of life would you live? If it means a whole lot to you, then what will not happen? What will not happen is the fact that you won't die. What will not happen is the fact that nobody will chase you out of your house. What will not happen is that your name will not change, right? So when you realize that the fundamentals of your life will not change, then the next thing is take a first step and date, right? Playfully date, that's what I tell people. Take it as play because once you take it seriously, it becomes something that uh, you are afraid of. But playfully, just in there because the worst that can happen is no, the worst that can happen is they won't accept it. But if they don't accept it, your name will not change. You will still be yourself. At least you can press yourself because that you have taken the first step. You are better than someone who has remained static. So that's the easiest wow. way to deal wow. with fear. Once you know that fear is a coward that dwells in the realm of your ignorance, then it's only light that can dispel
0: darkness. So. Once you know that fear is a coward that dwells in the rim of your ignorance, then you know that it's only light that can dispel it. There's joy past that fear. Take a chance. Awful powerful. You know, um, most of the folks that listen to this podcast uh, are of African descent, in diaspora as well as in Africa, whatever the case may be, and connecting the dots back to mental health. I want us to just touch a little bit on, you know, again, we've, we've, dive we've, done a deep dive on culture. We've done a deep dive on mental health. We've done a deep dive on, on a few things in general, but uh, can you touch a little bit on, you know, at least for the African environment, is there a cultural factor to how we stigmatize mental health and, and what, what could be done to, to walk away from that? And I use Africa as an example. Um, I, I imagine other, other cultures have similar um, issues that present themselves, so, but taking mental health as an issue, is there a cultural factor that affects treating, managing, addressing mental health issues? And how do how do how do we address that?
1: I think it's illiteracy and ignorance, basically. Hmm. Um, you know, when you don't know something, um, if you, uh, and I think it's born out of the way we were socialized. We were socialized not to. And so let me separate it. There is the African pre-1700. Pre then there's the African post-1700. Perfect. The African pre-1700 is not a representation of what we see right now. They were daring. Benin built a city that whose wall stood for 400 years. It took okay. them over 10 million man hours to finish that um, wall. It was better than the wall in, 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 in the great Wall of China. Benin city has a semblance of streetlight before Germany, before UK, before London, and before New York. Mm. Benin had one of the best armies in the world. As a matter of fact, Benin had science, they had technology way back now, because if you look at the African from the prism of the present day leaders, you will fall for every textbook that was written post 1700, because the history pre 1700 was totally destroyed. So, if we don't understand what is happening, we would have to crisis. Now, we were after 1700, we're now scripted to, to doubt our power. Now, the moment you are scripted to doubt your power, you lose confidence. And so, shame becomes the order of the day. So, we began to hide from ourselves. So, check the way we grew up in primary school for those who schooled in Africa when you had a teacher who was teaching you math and you scored zero over ten what did they do to you if you grew up where i grew up they brought you to the front of the class Mm -hmm. and they asked people to sing for you that Mm -hmm. if you don't understand (laughs) what that says is that you are a dollar all you knew how to eat was the eye of fish right and it was very very it was an unpleasant song we were shaming a child who has not mastered what the teacher is. I mean, instead of shaming the teacher, who has failed to Mm. understand the learning style of that person, you know, so we shame the child. Now, by the time we shame him, of of course, unfortunately for us, many of the people that we sang for were the ones who represented school in football, in um, athletics, and they were so good, which means their intelligence was in sport. It was not necessarily in the classroom. And maybe we didn't even consider the star, but we shamed them nevertheless. So when we, sh- then they were shamed, what did they start to do? They now start to copy other people. They lost complete confidence in themselves. And this is where this crisis starts from, that you have socialized to be secretive. So there were adages that we had in Africa that is inside your house that you eat a, um, a deer that has um, a novel. You know, mm-hmm. so, so these were things and that when you have a big yam, you cover it, right? So the concept of secrecy was introduced because we were afraid of failure. And we, we know that the, the, the effect of failure is shame. Yeah, mm-hmm. you know, we will boo ourselves when we are not doing things rightly. Now, if you come from that background and you now um, manifest a behavior, because what we call even mental illness sometimes, I think is a measure of intelligence that has not been studied. That's Ooh. what I believe, right? And I'm still going to do that study because I have seen shades. You know, we love to label. I did a, a write-up on LinkedIn um, last week on the concept of... Um, um, what, what's this um, There's this thing that when ladies... Um, there's this behavior in psychology that is called... Uh, oh, what's this, people? They, they, when a man has dealt with a woman so well, there is a, it's a common... Concepts now. I can't remember the. How could I could have forgotten about, a, a, about it. You know, um, they said the man is um, R. I can't. I can't remember. But I'll, I'll figure it out. So you know, basically, so,
0: when the man is abusive to the woman, and then yes. she becomes sympathetic to his yes. reality.
1: So yes, yes. There's a there's a name they call it. There's a particular. How could I could have forgotten. Hey, you know, very, I,
0: it's very. Same here. I'm drawing a blank, but it was. Um, it's, it's Stockholm syndrome. It's not Stockholm.
1: You okay. know, they said the man is uh, R. Okay, but don't worry, I'll I'll get it. So when you have that situation, right, you now label what you have not studied, what you don't understand, which is what we have begun
0: to do to ourselves because we are unwilling to factor. And the person is having a meltdown. The next thing we do
1: is we begin to you know um say this person has a problem mental problem you know and we everyone that behaves irrationally we call them is mad that's all we knew because no there's not enough knowledge you know so and because we didn't understand it so we call them mad and because everybody wants to keep their family intact because when somebody manifests you know um a mental illness for example we don't just classify him as someone with mental illness we also conclude yeah, the, what I was looking for was narcissistic disorder, right? Ah. So you said the guy is a narcissist. Now who is a narcissist? You know, you say he cannot keep a home, he cannot, and so people say all kinds of things about. I don't like labelling, but what I wrote about narcissistic disorder is these guys that they call na- narcissists. If you look at them properly, they are very successful at work. They have a huge network. They can dare projects and deliver on the project. The only area where they seem to have problems. Is at home. Now, could it be that it's a dimension of personalities who should actually stick to work and forget about building a family? You know, Mm -hmm. we are not willing to, to, to research that, but we have labeled an entire group of people that way. Now, I think we need to begin to look at things differently in our age and time. And I think Africa is heavy on secrecy. And let's not forget that when we don't understand something, we mystify it. Now we now have a value chain of an entire industry of people who claim they can solve what is not a problem. So you mm. have a child who is sleeping and is putting two legs to the wall. Nobody's going to ask, <laughs> well, is this a new style of sleeping? Can we study it? Can we research it? Someone who doesn't have any basis, no data is just going to say that child is a witch. The next <laughs> thing is begin to beat the child. To confess. Of course, when the beating becomes too much, you will confess what you have done. So right. <laughs> and so this is how we arrive at many of our conclusions. Um, the greatest errors are taught from the puppets in Africa. Mm. And they are taught across schools. And you know, the greatest carriers of truth are also the greatest carriers of error. So Ooh. because I, truth is not truth in Africa. Truth is dependent on who says it. If it's mm. someone people love, it's truth. Even if it's error, it's truth. So you have these things promoted over time. And that's how we've got into where we are. But the good thing is at least people are making it normal. You know, it's okay for us to say, I have a headache, I'm going to the hospital. Right. Mm. I mean, if you have a mental illness, it's it's not out of place to say, Hey, I, I, I'm i dealing with depression. I'm, I'm going to see my psychiatrist because all we knew about psychiatry before now is Aru, especially in Nigeria. And mm. Aru is a psychiatrist mm-hmm. clinic you know, mm-hmm. it's like, so that's the synonyms of, so, so when people go there, they assume that they have lost control of their faculty and people don't believe that people can recover. Of course, maybe science has not also got it to that level way back. So the mindset of people is just keep it to You don't let anybody know. Let's be praying for the person at home. You know, they are not even willing to go to the hospital for fear of what people would say, but with awareness coming right now, I can now see that that discussion has been normalized, especially in Nigeria, in Lagos, maybe not in other parts of Nigeria. In Lagos, it's now a normal conversation. You know, we now have, you know, a few people who are now coming out. And because a lot of people are now seeing movies, they are seeing these things become a normal occurrence that you can actually live a normal life, you know, even if you have, um, you know, mental health issues and stuff, you know. So I think we're gradually getting there. I know some African countries are are far away, but right. we need to normalize this conversation and let people understand that, hey, um, someone who has mental illness is not um, lesser than someone who has, a head, who has got a head. People die of headache. Anyway, so it, it's, it's not a big deal. You know? So we now, and I think in Africa, for, for this to become really normalized in Africa, we need to deploy you know, the religious leaders because a lot of Africans believe in their religious leaders. If they can promote this from the pulpit, I think it will become a normal
0: thing. You know, the latter phrases you, you threw out, and, and I want to key in on this last thought about, you know, the role of the religious leaders, the role of really the gatekeepers of community, the role of really the, the, the quarterback, the, the leaders of these environments where people really, you know, as you said, people eat, swallow, and digest what they say. It is, is, is truly important that, you know, if they're listening and if, if one is able to connect with them, um, they they need to start to see that role as um, as as a quarterback and in the American football world, a quarterback's role is is not to score the touchdown. Their role is to get the ball to the person that will score the touchdown. And so, you know, as that gatekeeper, if if the if help is coming, if someone is coming to you for help and they and they say, hey, I'm having financial issues, you know, you might advise them to meet with a banker or uh, or financial accountant. If they come to you and they say, I'm having immigration issues you might advise them to meet with a lawyer. Likewise, if someone presents and they're having psychosocial issues that require therapy and the likes, then there should be recommendation to a specialist, a clinical specialist, or a trained professional or a trained practitioner like yourself who has trained truly how to, how to manage such things as opposed to holding on to that, um, you know, from a self-preservatory standpoint. Um, the, 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 and, and here's where I throw faith in because this is a faith-based podcast, my prayer is that uh, we, we as a people elevate beyond where we currently are and we're not um, in this, I love how you describe it, where we're not so secretive, where it's not, you know, if your yam is sweet, you hide it. Where it's not, you know, if your yam is sweet, you hide it. If, you're, if, if, the, if the things are bad, you hide it as well. Where we're not keeping things as a result of shame, we're actually bringing it to light so that we can be liberated, so we can go through those levels and finally be at level four that you talk about in True Freedom mr Fulway, i i more than appreciate you you have you have poured into us excessively i do have one last question for you and this is kind of a signature question for this season of life on purpose the podcast um and, and so here's the question um what advice would you give a 21-year-old version of yourself just kind of starting out in life? What advice would you give a 21-year-old version of yourself just starting out in life, sir?
1: Um, Do everything to master physics and mathematics. Do everything. Pour yourself into science, right? Um, God conceals a matter. Scientists touch it out. Um, You will stand more chance to create and be useful to God much more if you embrace science. Um, that's what I would say to, to anyone And don't believe anything anybody says to you about your limitation. Limitation mm. is in your mind. Be limitless. All right. Uh, my father used to say to me, Don't aim for the stars. Aim for the moon. If you can't catch the moon, you will land among stars. You land on you the stars. You aim beyond the moon. You know, in fact, define the moon and create your moon. Mm. Best version of yourself. All right. People say that um, you can't build castles in the air. Build castles in the air and lay the foundation later. Mm. Always do it. So go after everything you can see in your mind and be unstoppable. Right? You're, as far as your eyes can see, God is willing to
0: give it to you. Go after it. Wow, wow, wow. Powerful, powerful, powerful. <laughs>